0: Hey, everybody, it's me, Evgeny. Before we start today's interview, I want to let you know about an event later this year, which, if you're into this podcast, will be right up your alley. It's called Data Center World, and it's scheduled for August 16th in Orlando, Florida. Data Center World is the leading conference and expo for data center and IT infrastructure professionals. It's the only industry event that delivers exclusive state of the data center research findings, in-depth workshops, 50-plus conference sessions, keynotes from industry luminaries, the largest offering of data center technology solutions, and unlimited networking opportunities. Find out more about the event and register at www.datacenterworld.com. That's www.datacenterworld.com. Hope to see you there. Hey everybody, welcome to the Data Center Podcast by Data Center Knowledge. I am Yevgeny Sverlik, editor in chief at DCK. My guest today is Jabez Tan, he's head of research at Structure Research. Structure is a research company. They have a this laser focus on the data center market. Jabez, thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Yevgeny. Good to be here.
0: Tell me how last year has been for you. You're normally traveling non-stop.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a weird year. You know, typically I'll be in Asia about four to six times a year. You know, cycling across Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia and, and some other new markets that we're trying to get into. But uh, given what's happened last year, you know, it's been purely a remote year for us. Um, usually in re- recessions, research tends to be the first um, kind of budget that gets cut for a lot of companies. So we were a little worried heading into, into the pandemic, but it turns out that with a lot of people cooped up, cooped up at home, and working remotely, it's uh, really good for research because they, they only have time to read research and talk to analysts like us. So it's been it's been a good year overall, um, but uh, the event side has definitely taken a hit. To be to be perfectly honest,
0: Structure just put out their latest edition of an annual report on the global data center market. I just finished going through it, or a big part of it. Um, We're gonna talk about some of the most interesting bits in there. The global market has and will continue growing about 11% a year on average through 2025, according to what you guys project. Um, It was a 54 billion market last year and you expect it to reach 92 million in 25. The big high level takeaways for me were that A, hyperscale collocation is continuing to grow as a portion of the overall market. And B, much of the growth going forward is not going to be happening in places we're used to talking about, U.S. and Western Europe. So let's start with the hyperscale bit. Um, You guys stopped splitting the market like you used to into retail colo and wholesale colo. You're now talking about retail versus hyperscale. Can you explain your thinking here? Wholesale colo that's not been leased by hyperscalers like, you know, Facebook. Or Google is still out there. That's still a product that exists. Um, you do address it in the report. Um, but just walk me through um, your thought process here. When you say hyperscale today, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And a lot of people, um, you know, it's a very, has a lot of vague definitions surrounding hyperscale. We used to call it retail versus wholesale co location market because that was traditionally how the industry evolved call it seven to 10 years ago, when it was just retail, smaller deals, and then wholesale deals that you would sell to large banks or large manufacturing companies. Uh, and then income these large hyperscale um, cloud companies that are consuming lots and lots of IT infrastructure. And so we've really just renamed the wholesale piece to hyperscale. Uh, in the report, we break down the hyperscale co-location market into two main segments. So the first segment is obviously the hyperscale segment, which is what the what we you would include from AWS and Azure and Google and Oracle and Alibaba and those guys, uh, and then the second section, which is a smaller piece that's not growing nearly as fast, is what we call non-hyperscale wholesale. So it's basically wholesale deals that typically range from call it two hundred and fifty kilowatts to a to one. Megawatt type deals um, that are still coming from, you know, governments or financial institutions, uh, manufacturing, logistics, some of the more traditional industries that are taking up. Um, host you know what we traditionally call wholesale co location, but the bulk of that segment because of the growth and the size, is that dominated by hyperscale cloud players, we decided to kind of just do a rename uh, to call it hyperscale co location market instead of wholesale so that was the thinking behind that. That's going to be, I think, how the market's going to trend in the future. I think with retail, um, we've had to split retail into three different sub segments. So, you know, you have the the big portion, which is the care neutral piece that providers like Interaction and Equinix kind of play in. And then you have the network provider oriented piece, which is where a lot of the telcos sit within that section so capturing what telcos are doing from a colocation standpoint that's not growing nearly as fast as care neutral given the world that we're pivoting in towards and then the last is you know system integrators that are doing some level of colocation um Leasing as well, which is a very small part of that retail market. So we tried to simplify it uh, and make make it kind of clear in terms of the segments that we're breaking out. But obviously, like you pointed out, Yevgeny, uh, the hyper piece is really what's what everyone's been talking about now.
0: Now the most the most important oh not the most important but the most exciting uh, part of of this report is the uh, collocation leaderboard. So for twenty twenty, you have your top fifty. You have top fifteen. Providers on a global basis, um, those top fifteen account for about half of the market. Um, does that mean there's still a lot of consolidation left to do? There's been consolidation has been nonstop in this market for the last few years. Yet yeah, there's still, you know, half of the market is still very fragmented. Lots of small players. Um, so yeah, that's that's the first question: is is do you expect um, a lot more consolidation to happen? So those those top those top fifteen. Will their share um, grow much beyond the half of the market that you're assessing right now?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the short answer is yes, we do expect um, more consolidation to happen. I think it's going to vary based on the regions. Um, so if you look at the U.S., that's probably the most mature region in the world. Um, even in even in the U.S., we've seen a, quite a bit of consolidation take place uh, in 2020. You had Equinix with that big... Con- big acquisition of the Bell Canada data center portfolio. And so Canada has really been a big focus for a lot of providers in 2020, given um, how it has accelerated in hyperscale growth and markets like montreal and toronto have really become uh front and center as a as and, and being the conversation as major tier one markets. so i think yeah moving forward you know in more fragmented regions like europe and asia and especially asia i think you'll start to see more and more consolidation take place and that has already been happening um as we've covered the market uh over the last five years and we do expect that to accelerate uh given the amount of investor interest and apac has always been A market or region with um, some really high upside markets that have yet to reach their full potential They're still very early innings. We think in their growth uh, phase And so you have markets like India uh, and in particular markets like Mumbai and Chennai and Pune and Hyderabad Um, huge addressable markets, but with very You know, you can argue very low penetration from a data center capacity and hyperscale cloud standpoint You know other very similar markets that have that upside potential in Asia include Indonesia and Korea as well. Uh, and Japan was, I think if I were to name one of the, the hottest market in Asia in 2020, it'd probably be the Japan market.
0: Mm-hmm. And the top five players you identify are Equinix, Digital Realty, China Telecom, NTT, and China Unicom. Looking at the top 15 ranking in recent years, uh, have there been any major changes?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, digital realty and Equinix were smaller in the past, in the past few years, and and they've grown a lot bigger due to the consolidation plays that they've done, like in digital realty, uh, the digital realty number, which, um, you know, now includes the interaction business. And that's a huge um, kind of acquisition that took place in 2020 that is now uh, closed and and now part of that digital realty group. So uh, I think, you know, Digital Realty and economics built on their market leading position. Um, China is kind of an outlier because just because of how large the Chinese market is and how restrictive it is for foreign companies to do uh, any sort of IT infrastructure services business in China without any sort of um, JV structure or, or or they call it the VIE structure. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of a skewed leaderboard just because a lot of the companies in China, like China Telecom, China Unicom, China Mobile, GDS, you know, most of them are deriving uh, the majority of their revenues from from colocation in China. So it's not, it's not exactly like they have a huge global business, but just you know, how huge the Chinese market is. Uh, and that's a testament to just that, that addressable market.
0: But in terms of ranking, have there been any changes on that top 15?
1: Uh, I would not say not very much. I think, you know, you, you see kind of the typical players that you would expect on there. I would say GDS have, has moved up in the rankings given how fast it's grown as the kind of the carrier neutral hyperscale player in China. Uh, 21 Vionet has also grown in the ranks given it it's recently pivoted from being a kind of a retail business into more hyperscale looking business like a GDS. Um, and then you had some acquisitions done by Cyrus One um, it, over the last couple of years. Um, and then Global Switch being kind of a, a player in Europe and Asia. Uh, they've continued to slowly build out capacity across all these tier one markets. Um, NTT GDC I think also has risen in the ranks over the last couple of years. You've seen them make some big um, bets in terms of acquiring the eShelter business in Europe. They've they've acquired the Raging Wire business in the U S. Uh, and then before that, they acqu- they were one of the first to to enter India with the Net Net Magic acquisition. And then in twenty twenty, they've really started to uh, form this separate entity called NTT GDC, which is their global data center business arm. Um, brought in a lot of you know season executives in there and so they're really one of the few outlier telcos in the in the world that have uh, chosen to go the opposite path whereas most telcos are trying to divest their data center assets take advantage of the high multiples and valuations for data centers whereas NTT is you know doubling down and buying and acquiring and building out more of that hyperscale data center practice
0: and I want to talk a little bit about the um, kind of protectionist policy in in China um, and how difficult it's been to to do business there for foreign companies. You know, has it been even harder to compete now there, especially for U.S. companies following um, Trump's trade war?
1: You know, just to preface it, to begin with, there wasn't much of a um, footprint from U.S. companies in China, um, from a co-location standpoint to begin with. So you had, you know, Equinix way back, I think seven years ago, they bought the Asia Tone data center business, um, and that included some assets in Shanghai. Um, that they're still kind of running but it's not a meaningful um, part of their business Um, and and outside of that you have other telcos like telstra um, that bought the pacnet business that did have some co-location assets in tier one markets in china as well but outside of that it's been very um, quiet in terms of foreign companies or or out, you know, Western companies doing a meaningful amount of, um, data center expansion within China. So it's mainly been a locally dominated market by the telcos and by the care neutral, the big care neutral players in town. That's why you've seen a resurgence in more of these, um, Chinese colo startups, like Chin data that recently IPO'd, Um, they're, they're doing, you know, they're 80, 80 plus percent of their business is leasing hyperscale capacity to ByteDance. Um, and that's, you know, kind of speaking to the, how, how, large, some of these large Chinese content and media and tech companies mm-hmm. are, uh, but yeah, very, like you said, very close market, very tough for, uh, foreign companies to, to get in.
0: And what's been your impression of the stance that, uh, foreign data center providers, um, have taken on China, um, is it similar to the stance of some tech giants like Facebook who's decided it's just not worth it and pulled out of China altogether. together, um, is, is this something they're actively exploring, getting more involved there? Because it's such a huge market, as you said, and they have, you know, they have the chops to to deliver.
1: Yeah, I think I would say back in 2017, 2018, um, from a research standpoint, we had a lot of requests on China, call it two to three years ago. And you know, that, that, that was because of that point you uh, you just identified, which is, you know, people saw that market, huge population, huge addressable market, huge, digi- huge digital shift um, from uh, from a lot of the, both urban and rural populations to consume cloud services and content and media. Um, but that has interestingly cooled off over the last couple of years. So within the 2019, call it 2020 timeframe, we've seen a, a pivot from Investors and providers uh, to focus on other markets outside of China because you know they're looking at Asia and they say why are we spending so much time and energy trying to get around this you know quote unquote Chinese firewall and 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 trying to operate in a country that's pretty hostile to foreign companies. Um, And, you know, there's other really high upside growth markets in Asia, like India and Indonesia and Korea and Japan. That's really only starting to accelerate in terms of cloud adoption, in terms of Internet usage, in terms of, you know, cloud public cloud services or even SaaS services. And I think a lot of those providers have pivoted to these other markets in APAC. Um, as a kind of way to uh, capture growth from Asia instead of you know just going directly into China given you know if, if you know if the largest hyperscale companies like Apple Google Facebook like you mentioned uh, have difficulty doing meaningful amount of business in China uh, I think you know for a data center operator that's going to be even harder given that they're operating very sensitive mission critical critical infrastructure. Um, and then you need specific licenses in China for operating data centers and and running cross connects and doing an interconnection business. So I think a lot of those barriers to entry in China have kind of, you know, kind of made them shy away from pursuing uh, the Chinese market um, as aggressively as other markets. Mm-hmm. I would say. So
0: to put it briefly, the, the trade war hasn't had any effect on activity there because there wasn't a lot of foreign activity in the data in the data center sector there to begin with.
1: Yeah, I think number one, there wasn't. That much activity and, and number two, you know, it definitely didn't help yeah. um, to to make to, to increase the appetite. So I think you know that that trade war has um, spilled over more concerns actually in, in you know quote unquote more neutral markets like Hong Kong, where Hong Kong was seen as this very neutral democratic um, Chinese owned state in uh, in Asia, and then recently with the new security laws enacted by China in Hong Kong um that has made a lot of large tech companies very concerned about their infrastructure footprints in the hong kong market and also that's why you've seen singapore um, kind of grow a lot faster this in 2020 because of a lot of that shift uh, not just from western companies um, prioritizing singapore expansion more but also chinese companies um are, are making Singapore their you know, APAC or regional headquarters, given there's some hostility for Chinese apps in India. Um, and, and Singapore is just a natural kind of place for them, given um, you know, Malaysia, Indonesia are all very kind of high-growth markets with you know, meaningful amounts of Chinese-speaking population. Yeah, so,
0: well. so Hong Kong and Singapore have traditionally um, been competing to be kind of the, the center uh, for infrastructure, at least for digital infrastructure. In, in Asia, and so now, given given um, the politics in Hong Kong, Singapore is taking um, has taken the lead. Basically, am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah, I think the the best way to put it is Singapore has always had the lead. I think it, it was always the number one market, and Hong Kong was a very close second market. But with what you know the chain of events that has happened over the last 12 to 18 months, I think Singapore absolutely pulled ahead as the number one regional hub in Asia Pacific, um, you know, that's, that's from a, from a per, perception standpoint, but in terms of absolute size, uh, excluding the Chinese markets, I would say Tokyo is the, is actually the largest, um, market in Asia in terms of data center capacity, just because of how big the, the Japanese, um, population and the Japanese market is third largest GDP in the world, um, with no domestic hyperscale cloud mm-hmm. has led to this kind of, big competition of both Chinese and Western hyperscale clouds deploying in Japan to get that market share and and compete for a lot of the Japanese um, business in in that country. So we've seen a lot of activity and growth in not just Tokyo, but in Osaka Mm. as well.
0: And now let's uh, go to the opposite end of the spectrum, Latin America. That market is tiny compared to the other three regions, just north of half a billion but also you guys expect it to grow the fastest annually. Can you flesh that out a little bit? Why is that happening, Um, this fast growth in Latin America? Is it simply a product of digital transformation gradually taking hold?
1: The first thing to, to note is that Um, The base, the revenue base from Latin America is is, it's very small compared to the other regions. And so that's why the growth rate is the fastest. So if you look at it from an absolute revenue addition standpoint, it's still still relatively modest compared to the other regions. But the growth rate, yes, it it is the highest growth rate um, in, in, in the world in terms of regional standpoint. And you're see, we're seeing that growth rate because we're seeing increased investments from not just local players in, in the Latin America market, but global providers also uh, making meaningful acquisitions and expansions in Latin America. So you have um, the, the biggest one, which is the digital realty acquisition of Ascenti in Brazil. Um, and then you have Cyrus One investing in OData, which is another Latin America data center platform. Uh, that you have companies like Edge Connects that are building hyperscale data centers for these large cloud companies in markets like Buenos Aires and Chile, um, so yeah, I think the Latin America market is is a one that we've getting we've been getting an increased amount of requests about. Um, it's not a market that we've typically specialized in as a firm, given our roots in North America and APAC, and we've got an analyst team in Europe. So we've been mainly focused on on those um, three main regions, and we've sort of I, I guess you can call it. In all, in all fairness, neglected Latin America to some extent. Uh, but that's, you know, we, we've, we've been keeping our eye on it and will likely ramp up our coverage on that region over time, given a lot of the global companies that we work with uh, as a research from our are targeting that area of growth mm-hmm. as well.
0: And now back to APEC, it's already the largest data center market in the world, 24 billion in 2020, according to your guys's estimates. You expect it to grow the second fastest rate after LATAM. Uh, Fourteen percent a year, Um, and as you just explained, even even though it's the second fastest uh, growth rate uh, in terms of actual um, revenue added, it's uh, vastly bigger than than Latin America. And interesting thing there is the fast growth rate is driven by India and Indonesia. Uh, So what's happening in those two countries? What's what's causing all this growth there?
1: Indonesia is where we've been spending a lot of our time on lately in twenty twenty. We've um, Indonesia was actually the only new market that we added to our research um, deep dive report series in 2020 and that's because we've seen a lot of activity in the, in the Indonesia market so I think we have our estimates that you know, the market is not big right now the Jakarta market which is the hub of Indonesia is you know call it 75-ish megawatts of t- capacity total in that market of co-location space uh, which is not a lot you know if you compare it to other markets like Singapore with like over 400 uh, almost 500 megawatts and, and Tokyo with 780 megawatts of, of capacity. So it's very tiny, but uh, that market could easily quadruple over the next um, you know, three to five years, given the amount of activity that we're seeing, the amount of land banking that we're seeing happening in the Indonesia market. Uh, so we're very bullish on the Indonesia market. And then you have India as well. That's also very nascent in terms of um, international companies expanding within that market. So you had... Some activity in, in in India over the last two years, you had ST Telemedia acquiring the Tata data center asset platform, um, you know, call it one, two years ago. And then you had, you know, I mentioned earlier, NTT buying Netmagic uh, and then Equinix recently in 2020 acquired the GPX, um, you know, carrier hotels in, in Mumbai. And so I think that is going to only accelerate the amount of interest and, and expansion activity in that market, you know, digital realty, another global player that, has a gap in their map in Asia with India, they're going to likely make some moves in that market as well. Um, and then you also have new market entrants like the Chin Data Group, which is essentially a roll up of the Chinese business, which is Chin Data, and also the uh, Pan Asia business with Bridge Data Centers, which was all, you know, they were, they were both backed by Bain Capital. So uh, Bridge Data Centers had a had a footprint in Malaysia. And they're also building uh, a large um, data center campus in Mumbai and India as well. So, you know, that that activity is happening. You have Colt, which is a um, provider that, that looks like Global Switch with, you know, very, um, very, very solid hyperscale data center assets in Asia and Europe. They're also building a hundred megawatt data center campus in Mumbai. So, you know, that market is going to take off um, for sure over the last over the next, uh, call it two to four years. Um, so we're we're very bullish on on the and Indian. And then
0: there's some local investors, right? There's uh, Yoda another another pro layer, uh, and it's and that's funded by a uh, by Indian billionaire investor.
1: Yeah, I met the Yoda guys uh, at PTC last year. Um, So, yeah, they've been pretty aggressive in expansion in India. It's always a good recipe for success when you have a local conglomerate backing a data center platform expansion in a high growth market, because typically the, you know, in India, the, the big barrier to entry in India has always been the acquisition of land and the power power resiliency of the grid. And so, um, you know, with, with power of resiliency, you can always build to 2 end to get it to a more resilient kind of architecture. But whereas the land acquisition has always been the big issue for international companies um, expanding in India. Uh, I think, you know, you know, Yotta infrastructure being backed by a large conglomerate with you know, access to um, local relationships and land banking uh, bodes well for their, I think, future prospects in India as well. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a there's a few local conglomerates in India that are kind of circling the data center space. Um, so, yeah, I think we can expect more and more investments to come from these uh, large traditional real estate conglomerates that are pivoting more into kind of digital infrastructure assets.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, to go back to Indonesia, you said there was a lot of land banking. Um, who's doing the land banking? Who, who's driving all the investment there and why in Indonesia?
1: Yeah, so Indonesia has probably the the one of the larger populations in Asia Pacific outside of India and Japan, if I'm not mistaken. So it's you know kind of got really high upside as a lot of the, um, with a relatively low internet penetration rate and low mobile adoption rate relative to other more mature Asia Pac markets, and then you have you know uh, the presence of hyperscale like companies in India that are starting to really. Um, you know, accelerating growth. So you have Gojek, which is basically like the Uber of Indonesia, um, is becoming you know, large enough to be hyperscale status in terms of the amount of um, capacity and cloud services that they're taking up. Um, but yeah, I think the providers that we've seen land banking in that market include the Quark Group, which not many people have heard of the Quark Group or you know, their data center arm is called K2 data centers. Um, they've initially started by um, catering to hyperscale demand in the Dublin, Ireland market. So it's kind of a weird um, initial market entry because they're a Singapore based um, conglomerate um, that decided to start in Dublin, Ireland for our data centers and they've identified Indonesia or Jakarta specifically as their second market um, to, to expand into. So they've been land banking on in, the, in that market. You have the Princeton Digital Group, which is backed by Warburg Pincus, um, and they're a combination of a lot of senior executives from Tata, from, from Singapore data center companies, um, from ex-AWS um, guys that are running that company and, and building a pan-Asian platform, not just in Indonesia, but they're looking at India. They, they have assets in Singapore and China um, as well. So um, those are some of the companies that are non-local to Indonesia that are starting to expand in there. And then you have Keppel, which is a very known entity in the Singapore market that's building um, uh, data centers in there as well. So, and there's also been rumors circulating across the market of um, other kind of um, you know, larger, comp- larger data center operators, looking at the Jakarta market and f- trying to find a way to enter that market as well. But it's been such a hot market that, you know, valuations are, are sky high and companies that do have assets in those markets are, you know, asking for really high multiples, as you can imagine. And,
0: and third in growth rate on your growth rate ranking, I guess, is EMEA, uh, which is a huge region, lots of different markets there. 9 billion in 2020 overall? Uh, annual growth rate twelve and a half percent through 2025. Um, where is the most growth happening in that region now? I know we, we, know, we know there's you know the, there are the well known big markets there: the, the Frankfurt, London, Amsterdam, Paris. Um, looks like there's a lot more activity now in Eastern Europe, in Africa as well. Uh, can you talk a bit about that region? What's happening there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, the reason why APAC is growing the fastest is, is because it has Tier 1 markets and also tier 2, tier 3 markets that really should be Tier one markets, like we mentioned India and Jakarta, um, Indonesia as well. Uh, Europe is a little bit different because the whole region is a little bit less fragmented than Asia, but still more fragmented than the, than the North America market. So a lot of the markets are the, the, the growth disparity or the, or the maturation disparity, uh between european markets is less pronounced than in asia um and so you're seeing you know we continue to see the flat markets like you mentioned still continue to exhibit really strong growth Um, so we've seen really really um a lot of expansions coming online an increased pipeline for new builds in markets like london um paris and amsterdam which i'm working on a report as as of now and, and Frankfurt as well has seen a lot of you know M and A and expansion activity and also big signings. So I think Iron Mountain um, signed a twenty seven megawatt lease with um, a, a hyperscale cloud in in twenty twenty. So, so I think you know that those four markets will continue to exhibit very strong tier one market growth. But then you have these kind of tier two markets that are not that far behind these tier one markets. So. The markets that I, I would keep an eye on in 2021 are markets like Warsaw, um, which is in Poland, you have Milan in Italy, you have Zurich in Switzerland, uh, you have Madrid in Spain. Um, and then on the, on the Eastern European side, you have Moscow um, in, in Russia, that's also uh, exhibiting a lot of um, growth from a data center standpoint, You know, primarily driven by Chinese platforms. Uh, given that they're closer towards the Asia Pacific region than than most uh, European markets. Um, but yeah, I think those markets I would definitely keep an eye on uh in twenty twenty one. And there's been a lot of already announced uh builds and and MA expansion activity in those those kind of tier two European market. So Asian
0: platforms like Alibaba and Tencent expanding in in Russia. Uh,
1: and Huawei too. So all the big Chinese platforms are kind of making their way into Central and Western Europe through the Eastern European, uh, region. And Russia is kind of the hub. And, for them. and
0: politically, they have much smooth smoother relations with Russia than they do with the with the West. So I guess it's logical. That's right. And North America, second largest market after APEC, twenty billion in twenty twenty. Um, But the the slowest growing, um, as you mentioned, is the most mature, under 7% annually, you guys estimate. Uh, First, when did APAC overtake North America in market size?
1: We've had to revise our projections over the years. Um, But in terms of uh, pure data center capacity market size, the APAC region um, surpassed the North America region north america region in 2019 uh but in terms of revenue which is um you know a a function of pricing as well um the the north america market was eclipsed by by apac back in in 2018 um you know given how you know given it is the most mature market and therefore pricing is the kind of most compressed or or the the lowest in in the most mature region so um yeah the apac region has you know for a while. been bigger than the north america market um and, and we've had to revise those projections over time we initially thought that would happen in 2020 then 2019 and actually you know based on what we're tracking from more publicly disclosed data and revenue data and, and expansion data from these both private and public players you know it's, it's actually a much larger market than we expected uh, the apac region
0: Um, So why is North America growing so slowly? Um, I know market maturity, so is this a simple story? Basically, there's pretty much enough capacity already built to match the demand, and that's why there isn't so much happening, Uh, or is there something else going on?
1: Yeah, I think because the North America market grew the fastest in the beginning, that it, it only makes sense that it plateaus, is the first market to sort of reach a plateau stage. Um, so it's a function of several things. I think, you know, you have tier one markets in North America that all developed roughly at the same time. Um, and then, you know, North America is interesting because in Europe, you have flat, which are all kind of very big markets that are generally, you can say, in, the, in that same size range. But in North America, you have Ashburn and then you have everyone else, which is, you know, Ashburn or Northern Virginia is the by far the largest market. Um, by a mile in North America, uh, followed by other quote unquote tier one markets like Dallas and Chicago, um, Silicon Valley and New York. And, you know, you familiar with with those tier one markets, um, but it's a function of several things. So I think you have um, a lot of the hyperscale cloud. So Google, Microsoft, um, Amazon, those are ho- that's that's home base for them, North America. And so they can very easily build their own data centers in North America um, outside of these tier one markets. So they built large campuses in, in Ohio and in Kansas and you know in some of the more remote regions because they have access to land, they have access to cheap power, they have access to renewable energy. Um, and so that has driven, um, taken away, if you will, some of that addressable market for co-location because these hyperscalers are building a lot of these large campuses themselves outside of tier one markets. Uh, and that's why the tier one markets have grown um, so much from a co-location standpoint is because the hyperscalers don't want to... The the economics doesn't really work for these hyperscalers to invest a a ton of capex to build hyperscale sites in tier one markets. They would much rather lease from co-location providers like Digital Realty or CoreSite or Cyrus One or Equinix um, in these tier one markets just because there's already so much competition. There's so much... um, The pricing landscape is really, really favorable to them because there's so many providers competing for their business. Um, And so I think they've chosen to primarily lease in these tier one hubs in in the U.S. Uh, But I think that the U.S. market will continue to find these kind of tier two growth markets that are starting to emerge. So markets that we are pretty bullish on that's outside of your, you know, quote unquote, you know, more well-known tier one markets are, I think, two that I would single out or maybe three. Um, I would say Atlanta which is not, no surprise to many people that people kind of consider it already a tier one market. Uh, but yeah, Atlanta will absolutely be in the conversation for tier one market status. Same with Phoenix, um, if not already. And then, you know, Hillsboro or Portland is also another really uh, interesting high upside market for us because it's very favorable tax incentives, uh, sales tax climate. It's got uh, proximity to Silicon Valley and other kind of very... Um, mature West Coast tier one markets. Uh, and on top of that, it's also got submarine cables that are, that are landing in Hillsboro that are connecting directly to Asia Pacific markets, which is, I think that the key here is because this, this industry is becoming, you know, very much a global infrastructure uh, phenomenon that you really need to have that inter- international connectivity to be successful as a market. And so I think Oregon uh, or Hillsboro. Really checks a lot of those boxes um, for for growth. Uh, Salt Lake City is another one that has kind of flown under the radar, but has seen a lot of um, hyperscale activity. Given again as as a alternative to Silicon Valley, um, you know Phoenix has also emerged as an alternative to Silicon Valley, and La- Las Vegas is you know, you can argue somewhat of a uh, somewhat of an alternative. Uh, but I think Salt Lake City will also be kind of another kind of Phoenix to to emerge um, to cater to hyperscale. Really. And, so, and then yeah, Minneapolis as well, I think we're, we've we heard a lot of interesting growth stories from the Minneapolis market. And,
0: and in all these, um, I guess, emerging markets in North America, um, is it the hyperscalers that are uh, driving all the, all the growth? Is that the reason, are hyperscalers the reason that they're becoming alternatives to the top tier markets?
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of hyperscalers which includes cloud and content and digital media. So it's not just the Amazon's; Those are the Facebooks of the world that are also doing that um, So yeah, I would characterize it primarily um, As driven by hyperscale growth just because the hyperscale cloud players have essentially become aggregators and they're aggregating all this um, Need for compute storage networking capacity into a single platform so it makes less sense for individual enterprises and organizations to uh, procure like one or two racks of co-location capacity, uh, when they can spin up and spin down, um, IT capacity on a hyperscale cloud platform that has a lot of more features and capabilities, um, than they would have done if they were to do it by themselves. So I just think that it just makes a lot of sense for hyperscalers to be driving a lot of that IT infrastructure procurement in, in North America, given the dynamics that are taking mm. place.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the interconnection portion of your report, the inter- interconnection market size, which you addressed there. Um, counting, you guys count physical and virtual cross connects. Um, do you consider them equivalent? Um, aren't virtual ones kind of cheaper and lower capacity?
1: Yeah, I think that was the the perception in the past that, you know, physical cross connects would continue to be the primary driver of growth because, you know, they're very stable, they're dedicated, they're physical, which is something that you can touch and feel with an ethernet cable. Um, and then virtual cross connects started off as kind of this, you know, DR option or burst test dev option where you could, you know, if you wanted to test some connections or, or have a test dev, uh, workload that you want to, to test before you 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 transition that into a physical cross connect. You can spin it up on a virtual or SDN platform um, and then transition that into physical cross connects once that workload becomes more stable and repeatable and, and it's gaining more traction. So that was the initial thought of how virtual cross connects would work because of you know capacity, capacity limitations in the beginning. I think in when it first started out you can only uh the, the bandwidth capacity was like sub one gigabyte of uh, one gigs per second of, of capacity for a virtual cross-connect whereas with a physical cross-connect you can go up to like a hundred gigs of, of um, bandwidth capacity um, But fast forward to today and we're seeing seeing a, a meaningful shift in the way companies and providers think about virtual cross-connects um, you're, you're seeing that they're expanding the amount of um, bandwidth capacity for virtual cross-connects. I think it's now up to 10 gigs of capacity for a virtual cross connect that you can provision through one of these platforms and the feedback that we're getting from a lot of these uh, sdn uh, platform companies is that um, companies are now a lot of enterprises and customers are now using virtual cross connects for production workloads which is not what they were seeing call it you know two years ago when it first started coming onto the market so i think we're seeing sort of a meaningful shift in that a lot of enterprises do like the cloudification of the network which is essentially what virtual cross connects are and they do like the ability to spin up and spin down um, you know, on demand, self-provisioning, not having to wait for a, a engineer or a sysadmin to go to the data center rack and, and plug in the ethernet cable and connect it to the other uh, networking switch. So I think you know, that that's going to be an interesting dynamic that we'll, we'll continue to monitor moving forward. But I think it bodes well for both physical and virtual cross-connects um, growth in, in the future.
0: And, and Equinix owns the bulk of the physical and the virtual cross connect market. Help me understand Equinix's role in the virtual uh, cross connect space. So they've been trying to interconnect all their facilities across the globe recently um, and the promise is to eventually give you this virtual instant any side to any side connectivity. With much of the interconnection ecosystems at Equinix facilities already as as they have been uh, doesn't that kill the value of the likes of Megaport, Console Connect the big, you know the other big players? They're big players in the virtual uh, cross-connect, virtual interconnection, but they don't operate any physical facilities of their own.
1: Yeah, I think that's the reason um, why Equinix has such a big market share overall. It's because they not only own the platform, that they also own the data centers and the ecosystems that reside within the data center. And if you're a customer and you're th- and you're going, you know, I need to provision um, cross-connects and buy colo capacity, and Equinix has become that one-stop shop for everything. Whereas if you if you wanted to work with Megaport, you would have to first go through a colo provider to procure co-location capacity, and then work with Megaport to establish that um, virtual cross-connect into their SDN platform. So that's a little bit of a um, barrier to entry, given that there's multiple steps and multiple vendors that they have to deal with to, to get that up and running. Whereas Equinix has become that one-stop shop um, and continue to build on that value proposition with the acquisition of packet, which is a a bare, automated bare metal provisioning platform which addresses a different niche in the IT infrastructure space so it's not colo it's not cloud but it's very high performant um, dedicated server infrastructure that you can spin up spin down on a cloud of, on a cloud on a cloud like basis even though it's not you know cloud per se
0: okay and um, global switch uh, based in UK owned by Ch- uh, Chinese investors uh, there's a, a rumor that it's on the market may sell for as much as 11 billion which would be like the next jumbo m a deal um in the sector mm-hmm. um, you guys estimate is the sixth largest cola provider in the world um i'm just curious who do you think may be interested in buying it um Equinix and digital would be interested i think but they own so much of the market already they probably couldn't get antitrust approval for something like that um would it be another operator or an investor or a group of investors like a lot of the deals that we've seen recently uh, my best guess uh, would be either someone like NTT or, or one of the more um, one or more of these uh, infrastructure funds so
1: um, what do you think yeah that's a great question and uh, we've been following global switch for a while and they're a very unique data center operator because they typically only do wholesale hyperscale deals but they have very highly interconnected assets in Certain parts of Europe and Asia. So I know that their London uh, asset is very highly interconnected. They have one of the they own one of the carrier hotels in Singapore, the top two carrier hotels in Singapore, and they own a own a very highly interconnected asset in Sydney, in downtown Sydney. But they sell primarily wholesale and, and hyperscale, which is kind of odd because typically when you own carrier hotels, you tend to sell retail like what like what Equinix does to get that, um, get that juice from 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 that ecosystem density. Um, and so i think yeah there'll be a lot of providers and investors that would be interested in acquiring global switch i think from a best fit standpoint you know cyrus one sticks out to me as being a very good fit for global switch because they are very much lacking in asia pacific presence um, even though they have acquired xenium in the in 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 europe uh, to to kind of bolster their european presence uh, but they're really lacking an asia pacific footprint as a publicly traded company so i think you know from a from a from a data center footprint fit standpoint, I think Cyrus One could be a potential uh, acquirer. I don't think CoreSight will acquire them given CoreSight just seems to be primarily focused in the North America region for now. There's been really no chatter of them um, going outside of North America or the US market uh, for that matter. Uh, But ultimately, I do think it's more plausible that a PE fund, like an infrastructure investor, uh, will acquire the platform given that they're typically willing to pay a much higher multiple for a platform like global switch so cyrus one given they're publicly traded they have to they have to um be relatively conservative in, in not overpaying for platforms like global switch whereas for infrastructure investors because they have a much longer time horizon a uh, much lower um appetite for yield uh, on these assets that they can afford to splurge at much higher multiples which is what you saw from macquarie or mira when they acquired the majority stake in Airtrunk, trunk um, you know at the end of 2019 so it's really these infrastructure funds that are are really able to shell out the capital uh and acquire platforms like global switch at a at a much higher premium call it you know 28 30x ebitda is kind of the market rate for very attractive data center assets, maybe even more.
0: Okay, Jabez, that's all I have. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah, it's great speaking with you again, Yevgeny, and uh, happy new year.
0: Same to you.